0: On this edition of the National Talkie League podcast, we're going to talk about uh, the Pride Parade and whether or not cops should be wearing their uniforms if they're participating in Calgary's Pride Parade. We're going to talk about the truth behind onion rings and why you should never eat them again. And also, would you pay more for beef with better labeling?
1: I'm Dave Ware. He's Roger Kincaid. If you're a fan of strong opinions loosely held, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the National Talkie League.
0: National Talkie League. All right, friends and neighbors, sunshiny party people, welcome back to the National Talkie League. Uh, this time around, with some fresh, updated German, uh, German English voiceover talent. New Johannes, I guess I could just say new new stuff from Johannes. Uh, he's like he's 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 a one name performer, much like Prince or Bono. He's known worldwide. So new stuff from Johannes. I'm Roger Kincaid, Dave Ware, and joining us uh, for this edition of the National Talkie League uh, is Rob Mitchellson. We've got Rob on for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that Rob wrote a, a review of the place where he went uh, with his wife on their honeymoon, uh, and it's a scathing review. Um, but wildly entertaining for those of us who didn't have to endure his honeymoon stay there. <laughs> uh, wildly entertaining for us to read. And we're actually going to feature Rob's honeymoon, the whole story about it, and the review and how he's feeling about things in our overtime interview segment, which will be dispensed to you later this week on this same channel. But for now, because Rob is also a buddy of ours, um, and a guy that we've both performed with in various capacities, uh, Loose Moose Theater, also street performing. Rob is going to join us for this episode of the National Talkie League.
2: Welcome, Rob. Uh, thank you for having me, gentlemen.
0: I don't know. I don't know where to begin today. I mean, there's, there's, we could start easy, or we could start really hard on this edition of the of the National Talkie League, Dave. But I just sort of feel like the kind of summer that it's been. Uh, it probably makes some sense for us to talk about onion rings right out of the gate.
1: Oh, I love talking <laughs> about onion rings. So, um, my, my kids love onion rings. And so my wife bought like, you know, McCain's, they make fries. They also make onion rings that you can just throw in the oven. Uh, they're terrible when you do that, of course, because they're not very crisp. They're a bit soggy and they're a bit soft. And most of the things you don't want out of an onion ring. Uh, so I asked the, the talkies, uh, who has the best onion rings in town and then just because I wanted more input I also went on reddit and I asked and it mistakenly typed onion rigs uh, <laughs> but I also asked them what who who makes the best onion rings in town and uh reddit uh, this is abnormal for reddit but everybody had an opinion and then they <laughs> wanted to share it so <laughs> so we've got quite a few from there but before we get to those uh, I want to hear from you guys
0: Rob, do you even like onion rings?
1: Well,
2: I'm a celiac, so I can't eat an onion <laughs> ring uh, at 99% of restaurants. Uh, um, and if you see somebody who uh, claims to have a gluten allergy and then they decide to order the onion rings everywhere, do me a favor, just slap them out of their hands and say no, because they're ruining it for people like me. They're ruining it for people like me. I did, <laughs> however, live beside an a for 13 years, and I can say that when I was allowed to, Uh, which should have been never, but when I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to, I loved an onion ring.
0: I think that you've actually got the best onion ring experience out of any of uh, the three of us here, Rob, um, because you get the best part of the onion ring, which is the aroma.
2: Oh yes. All all hours of the day. It just just wafted into my condo. Right. It was like the one highlight of living on the second floor off of 14th street is that, uh, you know, uh, the NW was right there. Yeah. And you could hear what people were ordering late at night too.
0: <laughs> well, you know how like you go into co-op now and they've got the, um, filet of fish sauce and the Big Mac sauce in like the bottle. Yes. You, you just buy this bottled product now. I've, I've thought that like, um, you know, A and W, for example, should partner with Glade on like an onion ring scented home freshener or something. Because like that's yeah. that's the best part of the onion ring. Is there anybody who's going to dispute this with me? I think it's better to smell an onion ring than to taste one.
1: Yeah. Well, and the, the tricky thing that I found on this, you're absolutely right, Roger. The smell is fantastic, which is why you want to order them. Um, most places don't sell the onion ring anymore. Clearly, it's not popular enough. You, know, you can't get them at McDonald's. You can't get them at Wendy's. So A&W, they kind of work that old-timey thing. They like to pretend they're a bit more throwbacky. Though they got rid of the car hop thing, which is a shame because that was always the best part of A and W is getting to sit in your car and someone came up and slapped a, you know, tray on the side of your, (laughs) side of your door and you could just sit in your car and eat. That was great. Missed that. Uh, there's a chain in the States that still does that, I think. Sonic, Sonic maybe or? Yeah. I think Sonic's got got something like that.
0: Uh, do do Um, does it, does anybody still have the roller skates though?
1: Ooh, good good question.
0: You know about this? Uh, let me just yeah.
2: I, I'm just going to throw this out there that uh, roller skates used to have clay wheels. So unless you just built this restaurant in 1952, that's a super dangerous way of delivering food.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so so part of this question is is based on the fact that there's only you know probably a handful of places in town that make an onion ring. Uh, so uh, we don't want to go through every single one of them, but basically the Reddit people uh, a lot of votes for uh, for Peters which uh, I would concur. Uh, This is probably why it came up is because we were at Peter's not too long ago and we got a small thing of onion rings and a big fry. We always forget that Peter's has the most horrible fries, pretty much of any fast food place you want to go. I don't know what they're doing to those fries, but they got to (laughs) stop. So everybody polished off the onion rings, um, which uh, my younger son, that's almost all he eats there. So I had to go back and get more onion rings. At Peter's. Anyways, <laughs> uh, A&W came up uh, good because they've got the seasoning, right? they got that right. seasoning sauce they throw on them. I think that's what throws them up a bit. Uh, someone here said Dairy Queen and Tubby Dog got quite a few votes as well. I've never had them at, at Tubby Dog, so I know I'm not a Tubby Dog guy. I can't speak to that. I don't know if either of you have had them there.
2: I, I've, I've not had the onion rings there. I've had the Tubby Dog experience, again, before I found out that I shouldn't have eaten that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was going to say, like, the the envelope of the hot dog is uh, inedible to you celiacs.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and actually quite often the interior of the hot dog as well, so.
0: (laughs) Really? They're mixing some breaded goodness in with the pork guts?
2: Someday when you want to, like, when you want to have, like, a dark podcast, let me tell you about all the places where you can find wheat, where there should, for no rational reason, (laughs) be wheat.
0: (laughs) Um, Glenn Wilson on, on the Facebook page, by the way, he said that in my opinion, the best ones are in my right hand now. None. And uh, see, onion rings are a food that lives on my regret list. It's like, it's like my nacho theory, right? Like delicious on the menu, shit on the table, right? Like when somebody puts the plate of nachos down in front of you, you just start to regret having ordered this mountain of corn chips covered in, you know, other bowel plugging implements. Um, and I, I, onion rings do the same thing to me. You know, I'm, I so seldom am in a place that has them. And then when I finally am at the and I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll have the buddy burger and, uh, yeah, let's have some onion rings. And then they put them in front of me and I wish I could just send them back right away.
1: <laughs> I think there's A&W some, AW t-
0: has, go ahead, Rob.
2: Oh, I think there's some tactical issues in, in consuming the onion ring in the first place too, because like, like the, the, the onion ring that we're discussing is the one that is like where the ring is, Is totally detached from all of the other rings. And when you eat it, the onion like crisply is caramelized just enough that it like falls apart. But the experience that you're going to have, and I Roger, I I feel you here. The experience you're going to have is that three or four rings are going to be interconnected, uh, like having passed through like a, a fourth physical dimension (laughs) and then, and then formed some kind of knot somehow. And then when you bite into them, the, the onion itself is going to be, burning hot and the 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 breading is then going to peel away from it allowing you to hold on to a chunk of breading while a strip of hot onion dangles down your chin and slaps you in the neck like that's the, that's the experience of the onion ring that you forget about when you order them. Cause when you order them, you're like, yeah, I'm going to have a crisp individual ring perfectly cooked and cooled on the inside. And when you get it, you, you end up with like spaghetti, like strand burns on your neck. And you have to try to explain that
1: to your spouse. Uh, I don't, I don't think we can top that. I think you're bang on there. Rob. <laughs> <laughs> um Brian said uh, anywhere that has good crisp breading the ones that like tempura are not any good I think a and w does a good job i rarely do get onion rings as a side other than fast food i think that's pretty common other than i think there's a few burgers where you can get get an onion ring with the burger now
0: yeah. uh julie
1: Damn. julie one of the talkies who i'm led to believe is a bit of a bit of a food aficionado is that the, the right person oh that yeah Ju- right? yeah
0: julie was hitting on dave and i earlier this week like, oh, yeah, Julie was trying to wreck three marriages in one go with the kind of salacious tweets that she was sending us asking us about sous vide. Or maybe I'm reading it the wrong way, Dave. Maybe she was getting real kinky because she kept talking about how her husband was sous vide this duck or her husband is thinking about sous eating some hamburgers. So I think she's into some really kinky uh sous vide cooking techniques. <laughs>
1: So Julie, uh, Julie disagreed with Glenn, and she said, "I respectfully disagree. Sir, the best onion rings are done in a beer batter and can often be found in small town Alberta hockey rinks." That's a great point. There's yeah. some sort of a short order, I guess we'd call them foods yeah. that are are excellent when they are done in smaller places, and when you turn them into a big commercial thing, they start to fall apart.
0: Yeah. See, I don't. That's that's my thing. Like, I don't want the uh, the the Michelin starred chef making my. My onion rings. This kind of goes back to, to what I was saying last week in the last, not last week, but in the last episode, Dave, of the, of the National Talkie League podcast, which was that like, if you're ever in a restaurant where you say, Hey, what should I have? And, and the waiter comes back and recommends the hamburger. Like you're in a place where there's really not a ton of creativity coming out of that kitchen or the people that are serving the food aren't foodies themselves. Right. And so I just sort of think like with the onion ring, which is slice an onion. Put it in whatever goop is (laughs) would would eventually turn into bread, and then throw it in the boiling fat. Like that's not something I need to be zazzed up by some Michelin starred chef. I would rather have that done by a volunteer hockey mom.
2: Yeah, okay. but when you add the cilantro,
1: it really takes it to a different
0: it's kind of not, level. Okay. Do not serve this with an aioli. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: okay, ro- Roger. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rob and I are working in the restaurant. You are going to uh, ask us uh, what the best thing on the menu is. We, we're co-serving for
0: you. Okay, perfect. All right. <clears throat> uh,
1: so uh, what would you like to have tonight, sir? Uh, this, is, uh, this is Rob. He and I will be uh, both waiting on your table tonight.
0: Okay. both of us
2: will be waiting on your table tonight. I'm going to write my name backwards on the paper tabletop cover that you have.
0: Uh, oh, that's impressive. Um, I, th- well, guys, I'm I'm uh, a little bit hungry. I've never eaten here before, though. Uh, what do you recommend? What's good here?
1: Well, I think uh, I, I think most people tend to enjoy our uh, grass fed beef burger. It uh, it comes with uh, with bacon that's uh, freshly grown here in Alberta. And uh, and a side of an artisanal ketchup. (laughs) The artisanal
2: ketchup is produced from heirloom tomatoes only. They were raised in a greenhouse that had no fertilizers used whatsoever. As well, the ketchup was blended with cane sugar in order to avoid any fructose or glucose that you may be uncomfortable
1: with on a moral level.
0: Uh, That sounds smashing. What does it come with?
1: It's a syrup with an onion ring. Oh go
0: fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that sounded revolting to me.
1: <laughs> I just I just keep reminding and I I'm pretty sure that when I, when I was reading the Anthony Bourdain book that I was tweeting, uh, taking pictures and, and sending pictures, yeah. texting both of you while I was reading it. Cause I was like, who would appreciate this more than these two guys? <laughs> and Bourdain has a bit about, about, Oh, Oh, you have your, you have a home you're a, you a, a, a ketchup that's made right here in store. Hey, Oh, Oh, fantastic. So you've improved on ketchup. Well done. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I was at a, yeah, same thing, man. I was watching this cooking contest and this one guy, I can't even remember what they were making, but the one chef was making his own mayonnaise. And it, it was interesting, right? He had like egg yolks going around in the, in the food processor and he had like a bottle of oil. And it, he had it set up so that it was just drizzling into the food processor at the right rate, and he's making his mayonnaise. And then the other guy grabbed a bottle of Hellman's and said, "This is the world's best mayonnaise. <laughs> it's good enough for me too." And I was like, "Wow, that says it all to me."
1: Aioli's just a fancy name for mayonnaise, is it not? Yeah, uh, yeah, basically.
0: I don't know. Some chef will step in here on us, I'm sure. But, but I mean, is have you ever? Like aioli is something that somebody serves to you, but you've never tried to buy aioli. Like do you know, what I mean? unlike ketchup, where you know you get ketchup with your French fries at the restaurant, and you also like to have ketchup in the fridge. There's not a lot of people who are like asking the kid, the kid who's opening the boxes at co-op. Hey, where's the aioli? What aisle's that in?
1: <laughs> I remember uh, when Starbucks started selling breakfast sandwiches of various types. Uh, they would have, you know, basically an egg McMuffin, right? Mm-hmm. For all intents and purposes, right. um, and would always ask them if they had any ketchup. And it was—it's like you'd just ask them if they would, you know, murder one of their own children or something. <laughs> ketchup, what would you ketchup? The other day I went in there. Guess what they're serving now?
0: Yeah, but but at the same time, I was like, oh, if I asked you to put a slice of tomato on this, would that be out of line? Right. So give me the tomato sauce then.
2: Guys, I'd just like to say that an aioli is a Mediterranean sauce made of garlic and olive oil. In some regions, other emulsifiers are used, such as egg.
1: Okay, so it doesn't necessarily have to have egg in it. Egg, I
2: guess, but also that... Yeah, it's it like it's still a whipped oil. Like you're you're you actually taking what was mayonnaise that was mostly egg based and turning it into Miracle Whip, which is mostly like vegetable oil based.
1: So,
2: <laughs> so it's fancy Miracle Whip. <laughs> it is fancy Miracle Whip. We just determined.
0: Do we agree? So by what- the way, or I just want to put this out. But uh, do we agree that when you when a diner asks the waiter what's good here, it's because they don't want to have to make a choice. So that when the waiter retorts with, Oh, a lot of people like the steak sandwich, the burger's really good, you could try the sand. It's like, name a thing and give me that.
1: (laughs) It's like when you ask your wife, where do you want to go for dinner? And she gives you four (laughs) choices, and you're like, the reason I asked you is because I didn't want to have to make that choice. Uh, before we get too far off the onion rings, there was a couple more. Uh, so Brian said Peters. Uh, Richard also said Peters. He thinks the burgers have slipped, but the onion rings are great. And uh, Mag's also said Peters. She likes hers with a cherry milkshake on the side.
0: I could get with that. National yeah. Talkie League. Resist, resist, resist. <laughs> um. All right. The, let's, let's, let's dive into something a bit, a bit heavier here. And, um, th- once a week, uh, when we do this podcast, we do a segment, um, where I have got something pent up inside, uh, that I really need to get out and run it by you, David. In this case, you as well, Robin. The segment is called Let Me Clear My Throat. 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 Yes, indeed. Let me clear my throat. So, um, Pride is coming up. It's about a month away in Calgary. Um, and as we at the time of this recording, that is, and it's been decided that Calgary police members who want to take part in the parade will be allowed to do so, but they'll not be allowed to wear their uniforms. And so this is struck some controversy and I don't have like a particularly controversial opinion about this. I just, there's just something that I am wondering about. Now, if there's some people that feel oppressed by cops and, uh, they're in the LGBTQ community and they see the presence of police uniforms as being threatening, it's peculiar to me that, that they are still okay with the event taking place while Calgary cops will be in uniform. They're working, right? Protecting the parade route as cops do when large crowds congregate. Um, but they don't want uniformed officers. Marching in the parade, I I just I'm confused about the distinction and the difference a little bit, but I don't think anybody owes me an explanation on that. But here's what I am kind of interested in. Uh, I f- I find that to be an to be exclusive, right? They're basically saying um, we don't want your uniform here, and I think that if you're a cop, you're probably quite proud of your uniform, generally speaking. And I think that the citizens of the city have good reason as well to be proud of the uniform that the Calgary police wear and what it stands for. So my my only question really is in all of this uh, is, is it better instead of uh, – is it better instead of excluding certain people for particular reasons that make you more comfortable with your cause? Is it better to instead include them and say, I am willing to get past that? to bring you into this community. So my argument for it would be uh, watching and looking back on how Dr. Martin Luther King spoke, not just to the black uh, people that congregated in front of him when he did civil rights speeches, but to all America as well. And constantly saying, look, we are the way forward because we are, we know that, that, that African Americans are equals and that we have, uh, we are deserving of every human right that our white counterparts have. Um, but let there be no animosity. Let's win them with love.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point. Um, it's tricky. Uh, I don't know. I always feel like I don't really have a dog in this fight. I think I, <laughs> sure. I I don't know if I should have an opinion on this. It's not. It's not my thing. It's not my thing. Um, the one thing that we, it struck me while you were talking was that. The idea that, uh, oh, we'll allow police to march, but they can't be in uniform. Well, then they're, you're really not allowing police to march, are you? Right. Yeah. You're letting citizens march, but you're not allowing the police to march at all. So it's kind of a misnomer to say, well, you can still march, but you can't wear your uniform. Well, technically now, other than you may have the ability to do things that other citizens can't, you're not technically a police anymore. And also, isn't Pride mostly these days bank employees uh, marching? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, I like it. Uh, yeah, you're, there's definitely, look, there's no question that you're, you're hearing two like 40 year old straight white guys talking about this issue. So, uh, take it as you will. Um, Rob, you're not 40 yet. Are you?
2: No, I'm getting there. All right. Getting there. I mean, it's, it's, it's also tricky too, because we, um, hearing a bunch of like 40 year old white guys talk about an issue is like, I mean, there's no, It's indefensible that, that, that we, that we don't have privilege. Like we are, we're, we're privileged in a way that like it's, it's, it's too hard to go into in any really in like in any real detail. So I think it's actually kind of challenging to, it's, it's challenging to have a hard and fast opinion about this. If they're saying, look, yeah, like these communities have been traditionally oppressed by people who were, you know, like in uniforms and that, uh, that, um, uh, colors the the perspective of the people who are attending the pride then i can certainly understand where that point of view would come from but it's also it's also hard for for people like us who are like outside of this community to really go into it and say yeah you know like we but like why not include people and and, like it's it's hard for us to to see it as a as a, as a necessary step, as opposed to an, an option that might be, that might be made available. So it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky place for thing for us to discuss because there are reasons for why things might make sense differ from those folks who are in the community who are concerned about it.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, okay.
2: like that, that, and that's the whole, like, I mean, one of the things that I think that, uh, is f- so fascinating about the uh, sort of like the sort of like left perspective on a lot of this stuff is that like, it's gotten hard for everybody to contribute to any conversation without having to be so delicate that it, that it, that it, uh, dilutes their point, uh, entirely. So it, it's, a uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I'd love to have an opinion on this, but I actually, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure i I'm not sure I do because I can see both sides but I also wouldn't want to argue any one side because I would hate to I'd hate to be called out for being, you know, like for 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 being prejudiced against one group or the other on this side of this.
0: Yeah. I, OK, I get that. You triggered me with the white privilege thing or the not white privilege, but the privilege thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cause I got some thoughts about that as well. But no, but it, but it is exclusionary, right? Like they're they're essentially saying that, <clears throat> hey, let me back it up. Let me step back. Um there 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 are people in this country who could use sort of a, a, a dose of get over it. And I'm not saying that this is the case here, but if you want to say, look, cops oppressed us in the past or oppressed or I feel like we were oppressed by cops in the past, and that's why I don't want the uniform marching in the parade. Well what 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 on what basis are you picking and choosing then? Because how long ago was homosexuality a mental illness in Alberta? And how long ago was it a crime in Canada? Right? And I, I isn't actually sodomy still a crime in in Canada? Uh I don't know. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that part of the criminal code. No, sorry. It's, I'm thinking about something else, which may not be apropos. <laughs> oh, most. like uh, incitation to
2: mutiny is still uh, in the criminal code, right? So something but,
0: involving so an aioli, perhaps? Yeah, involving a lot of aioli. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, but no, but the, the so my point is, is like you know where where does the picking and choosing stop? And um. Isn't it better instead of saying, well, you know, th- this is how I feel to say, look, this is the reality that we need to usher in. What's everything that we can do to usher that reality in?
1: Well, so I was just looking on the, uh, the, on, on Reddit just quickly, cause I remember there was a discussion about this particular topic. And, uh, so, uh, so Mike of Mike's bloggity blog, you know, Mike, I know Mike, mm-hmm. um, He's a very outspoken member of the community. He would tell you that himself. Um, so he basically, when the topic came up, he said, and I'm just going to read what he wrote here. He said, uh, can I ask, have you considered all of the members of the LGBTQ community? Clearly, for some of them, the police represent oppression. Do they not deserve to feel safe and respected? If you don't feel afraid of the police, then you should consider yourself lucky. Did you read the press release? Uh, guess what the vote on that was up or down? Guess, guess what the vote was on that thing?
0: I think that'll be, that'll be sinking in the Reddit statistics.
1: Minus 70 down votes on that thing. And, uh, you know, we, we don't, you can go and find the, the thread and read it yourself. But the thing that, that it got me thinking about was, and again, I'm, you know, straight white guy and taking things in the wrong direction. But if the idea, if the idea is that some of these people might be offended or might feel oppressed by the police. Are we now going to the point where we're going to make sure that every single person who's in this parade feels safe, feels taken care of? Like, where does it stop? Right. What if, uh, what if someone marching doesn't like, you know, people in chaps and nothing else?
0: <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I, and by the way, I don't say the straight white guy thing. Um, I only say that because to head it off at the pass, I <laughs> I know some of y'all yeah. are thinking that, um, <laughs> but like, you know, Martin Luther King, right? What did he say? Love is the only force capable of turning an enemy into a friend, right? So it, it's like, I, again, I kind of go back to this thing where, you know, if it's, if we're picking and choosing and we're saying, oh you have to earn your way back into my heart or into, you know, into our community or something like that. That's not the recipe for what we're trying to accomplish here. I mean, the, the, the reason why I'm so, um, why this topic matters to me and why I do have an opinion on it is because I honestly believe that in my lifetime in the communities that I live in, that the struggle for equality and acceptance of the gay and lesbian community, that's like my human rights movement. That's the human rights movement that is, is concurrent with my existence. And maybe somebody wants to argue that and I'd love to hear the argument. I'm happy to hear it. But. You know, I th- I think that if if I were alive in the fifties, then I'd be talking about, hey man, like I would love to have more blacks around. Look at what Jackie Robinson did for the Dodgers. <laughs> I'd love to have black guys working for my company, right? And that's really all I care about. Is like, you know, uh, I don't care if you're gay. Can you put the ball in the end zone? So, you know, just to kind of come back to this point, it's it. I think that that it's a mistake for a uh, a group that is currently politically. Active about equality and making sure that there is fairness and safety and equality in all aspects of life to exclude a, a group from, from getting together with them. I think that's wrong. I just think that, that that's, I shouldn't say wrong. Let me, th- I kind of want to watch my words on that. I think it's counterproductive.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, it's the same thing that happens with the what, what we call the far left. I guess we should call them the alt-left because the, alt-left, the yeah, alt-right sure. is around now, right? So, um, yeah, it's that idea that uh, that's that's what often they get attacked for because they'll say, oh, we want everyone to be equal and fair and treated equal. And then the minute that they try to exclude someone, people can turn around and say, well, wait a minute, you know, you're the one who's preaching about everybody being equal and fair. So, you know, why are you going on Twitter and saying, oh, no one should vote for the conservative party? Because they're so against what I'm into. Well, you know, I mean, that's your opinion and you're certainly welcome to have that opinion. But if you're sh- if you're telling someone else not to vote for something because you disagree with them, now you're basically doing the opposite of what you're preaching. Right. right. I'm not saying and I they're think right. I'm not saying they're
2: wrong. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just to just to add a, uh, a, a clarifying thought into to my rambling thought earlier. But I, I think that the argument that you would hear from from outside of our perspective is that uh, is, is that people would say, well, that's their lived experience. And that's not, that's not really for you to, it's not really for you to understand. And I think that the the challenge for folks like us is that it can make it, um, it can make it hard to understand how you can be an ally or how you can be supportive in a way that, that, that is easily communicated to you. Um, but they're, for the moment, it seems like that, that, that is the essential challenge is that there's, there's no easy way around the, the, the um, intersectionality of these sort of, of these sort of lived experiences that you can't like, you can't pick the point of view that is. uh, And so it gets weirdly postmodern and, and I quite often, like I will sit out of a debate because I'm like, well, is this my place or is this, or is this the one that really matters to me? And so I, I, it, it, it puts you in an interesting in an interesting position, too.
0: Yeah, but I think if you're thoughtful and you sit out of a debate, you might be contributing to an echo chamber.
2: That's true. I mean, I, I've certainly been my part of many echo chambers.
0: Right. Like the the. There's, I just don't like the idea of of four people who have consensus sitting around and arguing a flawed point. You know, and and I I I don't think that this is like an an argument or a debate that needs to have some sort of. <clears throat> like I don't know what the conclusion to this is essentially is what I'm saying but i I think that I can reasonably and quite safely conclude that um agreeing that blacks in America should be treat should be uh, have equal privilege or equal opportunity excuse me that whites have in America i think is an inarguable point isn't it Like, is, is that, we, is there a consensus on that right now? I know there's a couple of racists who might, who might disagree. But anyway, but the point I'm, I, I don't know. I just come back to the point that it's like, if we want to achieve this point in, in, in our province where we have, uh, this uniform opinion of acceptance and we're on the right side of history and, and, uh, you know, policy doesn't get like, we don't stumble over policy right now. You know, they're never debating policy in Edmonton. And then they go, and the blacks too, right? Like, we're going to have black, this is going to apply to all people. Like, so uh, my my point is, like, if we're going to get to that stage, I think that we've got to just, if we're having a parade and we're having a party, we should just say, hey, you guys can all come. Doesn't matter what you wear.
1: It seems a little strange to me, too, considering that one of the very first, earliest symbols of sort of popular culture uh of, of you know gay in music was the village people <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> uh including the police officer so it seems a little strange to turn around and say that that's not okay now <laughs> uh, no sorry on a more serious
0: oh way. really i thought that was a great place to end it but go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. go on national talkie league so sexy it hurts but now everybody's dying to know what you were gonna say <laughs>
1: No, I was just going to say, I, I, it's going to prolong the argument, but basically that what Rob was saying about sitting back from the argument, there's part of that too, not to, you know, pull out the cross here of the most you know privileged group out there right now. But yeah, uh, you know, if I open my mouth about a woman's issue, I'm mansplaining. If I open my right. mouth about, you know, a minority issue, I'm the white guy in the room. And so it's a little tricky sometimes. Maybe you don't want to always open up and, and share what you have to say. I've got a friend on Facebook who's always talking about her kids. She's got she's got two boys and she's like, "Oh, you know, people say this and, "Oh my god, I need wine cuz I have boys." And I'm like, every time I read it, I go, "That's the most sexist thing you could say right now." But you can't really say that because being sexist against males isn't really being sexist anymore.
0: <laughs> I I, I respectfully disagree. I, I actually really like it when I open my mouth and somebody goes, Oh, you're mansplaining or, or check your privilege. Cause now I know I'm talking to somebody who just parrots like a movement and is it, is not interested in actually getting into the muck and going, Well, hang on. What do you mean by that? Like when we say privilege, what are we talking? Are we talking about the accrued benefit that white guys have, uh, uh, you know, you know been, been privy to? over a period of time, or are we saying that I walk out into the street tomorrow and I have got substantially more opportunity than other non-white guys, other people who are not white guys?
1: Probably a little of a, a little of B, I would think.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Cause uh, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time feeling the privilege these days. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I would not deny, I, I think it's, Idiotic to, uh, deny that, that white guys have accrued a tremendous benefit from having been white for the past several, uh, centuries on this continent in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, boy, I wish I had some of the oppor- Well, I, th- I think I have equal opportunity to most people. I just don't know if I'm, uh, if, if I have more opportunity than a lot of people.
1: <laughs> well, uh, Louis CK had a great bit about, you know, how. We always talk about like, oh, oh, if you had a time machine, where would you travel? And you know, for white guys, it's pretty much anywhere, anytime in history. <laughs> for a black guy, 1976 is about as far back as you want to go.
0: Right. Um, I want to. I want to keep uh, playing the Johannes
2: National Talkie League podcasting into the future.
0: You know, staying on like the 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 semi um, non controversial topics. Um, there was an interesting tweet actually that went out, came out of um, the guys behind the Circle of Wagons festival. Uh, Dave, you know a little bit more about this festival than I do. Um, anytime there's a large group of people gathered, I, you know, I tend to stay away. Um, but this, this is, uh, well, well, why don't you describe it instead of letting me try to guess?
1: Yeah, okay. So um, basically, Circle the Wagons was the brainchild of uh, three guys here in town. It's uh, Baron Faber who runs the base bus uh, which is, you know, giant bus. It's all decked out with a lot of music stuff. He de- He sets up a lot of events and, uh, music related stuff. Uh, you got, uh, James, is it Betcher? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah.
0: Fiasco gelato guy,
1: right. Fiasco gelato and, uh, Jim button, one of our personal heroes, uh, the man, <laughs> uh, who, uh, is responsible for Village Brewery, works at Evan's Hunt. He's a big piece of our community right now. Fantastic guy. So those three guys got together and they wanted to put on kind of a festival that just kind of popped up for one day. There's all kinds of fun. There's, you know, bands, there's food trucks, there's beer. There's stuff for the kids to do. They have wiener dog races. Uh, They had a big bingo thing last year. So it's just basically come out. um, The way they like to describe it is, you come out in the afternoon with the whole family and you have a blast, you run around, you do fun things. And then, you know, around six o'clock mom and dad play a little rock, paper, scissors. So going to take the kids home. <laughs> the other one stays and has a few more. I love it. Um, so yeah, I've been involved with them for a few years now they reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in running a, you know, Lego build table because the kids like to build the Lego and who doesn't really. Right. So for the last few years, uh, and I, I might, just to say my general policy with festivals is uh the first one is free so i'll go out the first time and you know if you want me back to next year you're probably going to end up paying for it but you know i really like circle the wagons and it's something i can get behind and uh so i've done it uh, every year i not don't get paid or anything i just go out and have a good time and uh so yeah so the the issue at hand is that this year they came out and they're talking about changing the name because it's come to their attention that the phrase Circle the Wagons has a bit of, uh, a bit of the, the etymology has a bit of a, of a racial, uh, background to it in that the concept of, uh, sorry, do you want to hop in here, Roger? Well, I was go? just
0: saying that the easiest way to describe what Circle the Wagons etymology is is quick, let's form a defense against the Indians that are attacking us right now. So that's, right. yeah. That's so why that they're changing it. The yeah. yeah.
1: And interestingly, people talk about circling the wagons, which I've never heard as being a phrase, but obviously that would be the opposite side, which would be circling the wagons, you know, right. around yeah. and around and around the wagons, right? The the uh, So I, I guess it's probably a sensitivity to First Nations and not wanting to, you know, sort of rehash that concept in an event that happens every year in town. So, I mean, I don't think the guys are, are you know, getting up on a cross or anything here, but the thought was, well, maybe we'll change the name. So. They're kind of reaching out to people and saying, you know, what would she, what, what should we change the name to? My suggestion was wagons, comma, ho. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's where we're at. So it's a one day festival. It's not, it really has not a lot to do with the wagons other than there's food trucks. I guess those yeah, might be the wagons. Yeah, that's kind of how it started. Yeah. yeah so what's, uh, what's your feeling on this, Roger?
0: Oh, I think it's fine. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I call it a non. Well, I'm glad thing. we brought it up. there. <laughs> well, no, but it's because of what other people thought of it, right? Like they just basically came up and they said, "Hey, it's come to our attention that you know our nascent festival has a, a mildly offensive name to certain ethnic groups, so we've decided we're going to change it." And it's like, oh, what are you going to do instead? Like that's the point is, is that they're just renaming it; that they're not, you know, completely retooling the festival. And by the way, because we felt so bad that it was called "Circle the Wagons," it's just going to be a dry pasta festival henceforth. Uh, there'll be no music or beer, only dry pastas and rug hooking. Dry pastas and rug hooking, and it's it's going to happen on a Wednesday, starting at seven a.m. now, instead of on a weekend. Like, Rob, that. Got any
1: thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: like I, again, this is this is one of those things where it's like I I, I would say that it that's at least from what I'm hearing about it, it seems like that is a pretty decent way of handling it. Like they're like, Hey, some people are bothered by our name. We don't care. We're happy to change it if you care. And then people were like, okay, then let's come up with a new name. It seems like kind of, I think you you make a point about a non Roger. Like, (laughs) like, yeah, sure. That there was a problem came up. Somebody addressed it in a totally mature fashion. Then they resolved it in a totally mature fashion. I, I I can't imagine how anybody would object to them sort of responsibly dealing with that. But then again, what do I know? Which is my, like, like which is my, my favorite thing to say. I have this to add to everything that I've ever said Uh, in BC when uh, uh, BC roads department wants to tweet something and give you an update on a road closure. They will now post along with the road closure, something they call, uh, like, like they don't, I don't know what they call it, but they post a confidence rating. So for example, when the avalanches had the highway shut down to my, the place where we're housing, where I was having my wedding this spring, they said, uh, highways reopened today at 4 PM with low confidence. And then the highways <laughs> didn't reopen. So they could say the next day, highways open today at 4 PM with low confidence. And I would like to say that as far as I'm concerned, with the name change of Circle the Wagons, with them saying, Yeah, you know what? Like somebody was bothered. That's okay with us. We're happy to change it. No problem with me. That seems reasonable to me with low confidence.
1: <laughs> well, one of our slogans here on the podcast, Rob, is that uh, we have strong opinions loosely held.
2: So yeah, yeah, exactly. No, somebody's welcome to like come knock that opinion out of my hand. They're like, Actually, here's why it's offensive for them to change it. I'll be like, All oh, right. <laughs>
0: Well, this um, is this is the com- this is the comment that somebody made that that bothered me a- about it, and this is somebody named Brody, um, who actually, you know, if you just cruise his Facebook page for a sec, looks like he's living a pretty bitchin' life, to be honest with you. But Brody said, "This world is doomed if people are going to continue to be o- so oversensitive about every single thing. Don't look so deep into everything." The name was based on getting food trucks together with some music. Derp. And it's like, no, that's not what the name was based on. That was what the festival was based on. The name is based on frontier days. People would round their wagons up to protect themselves against attacking Indians. And it's like, you know, that's what it means. So if someone is offended by that, they kind of have the record. Like they can come over and point this out. So, I mean, like this kind of – not to get it to – what is it? Godwin's rule where everything comes back to Hitler. Not to get the Godwin's rule <laughs> right, but it's like <clears throat> if you had a picture of Hitler on your wall in nineteen thirty eight, okay, and then ten years passed and somebody pointed out, Oh, you still got that Hitler picture up, eh? Things have changed. We now know better. The thing to do in 19, in nineteen thirty eight, maybe you're gonna start arguing. It's like, hey, look, I just he's he won an election, you know. <laughs> he's In a way, he's the head of the school board. That's why – anyway, right? But 10 years have passed. We've learned a lot more. Take the picture off the wall. All I'm saying is when you learn, when you know, when you find out, it's not – you're not kowtowing to social justice warriors or anything like that. You're just basically saying, yeah, um, we learned something and uh, we decided to do something about it.
1: Well, what's the phrase? When you know better, then you do better. Right. Right? Right. It's funny actually to
2: like, this is backtracking a little bit and I hopefully won't throw this, uh, throw your nice editing into the, into the, uh, into shambles here. But like, it's interesting that um, uh, um, there's a, there's like a, there's a very far, like in the, in the sort of political spectrum of opinions that you can go, um, that you can find it hard to have an opinion on one side, but you can also find it hard to have an opinion on the, on the other side for similar reasons. Like there, here's a guy who's strongly held, who believes that like, like it's not, it's not fair of them to want to change the name of a cool festival that I like. Uh, but that it to, that seems rationally defensible from our point of view as well. But, uh, and, and nobody will come to this guy and defend his, his perspective on this either. I don't think. And, and I wouldn't, necessarily want them to but it's funny how like how hard it is to to like fall on strongly on one side or the other of of this of these sort of like political politicized issues
0: right
1: well and it strikes me in this day and age too that everything becomes politicized in some way whether it's gender whether it's sex whether it's politics Um, i mean i put something on facebook the other day uh it was about wonder woman and literally all I posted, I did not say a thing about what I thought the movie was, whether it was good, whether it was bad. Literally what I posted was that uh it's became the second largest movie of the summer and that it was breaking all kinds of records and it was, you know, probably gonna outgrow Spider-Man, which is crazy if you think about it. Of course, Spider-Man's had ninety-seven movies in the last few years, but the point was that all I had posted was box office numbers. Like nobody else in the world should probably care <laughs> maybe rob rob's a movie guy he might care a little bit about box sure. office and stuff like that so it was that and yet somebody had to jump in and say oh well if i say this movie's terrible then i'm a you know sexist aren't i and i was like nobody's nobody's having that fight here you you're inviting that fight here you've decided to be offended about the existence of this movie right. or you're being you know like preemptively offended because you think someone might have a problem with what you have to say. Right. It was the same thing with the doctor who thing. No, I was just about, about to before.
0: bring that exact same thing up. Yeah.
1: Right. The, yeah. Uh, the, the, they announced a new doctor who it's a woman, doctor who, and I, I'd said this to, to Roger, Rob, that, that uh, no one was surprised by this because it was fairly obvious that that was what had happened because there would have been some kind of riot if it wasn't. Yeah. Um, but what I noticed on Twitter, and this could be, you know, because of the people that I follow on Twitter, what I noticed on Twitter was that I didn't see any comments about people bitching about the fact that Dr. Who was a woman. I saw a lot of people bitching about the fact that people might be bitching about it. Like, Oh, if anybody comes out against this, Oh my God. It's like they're preemptively having the argument, even though I'm not seeing any evidence of people getting pissed off about it. I'm sure there are people that are pissed off about it out there, but I saw a lot more people being pissed off at the concept that someone else might be pissed off about it. And it, I just—it just, it's just and it pissed you off, <laughs> and that pissed me off. Yeah, <laughs> nice. it's this whole preemptive argument thing, like, oh, well, I'm going to be offended because someone else might have a problem with the thing that I'm saying, which is probably the least progressive thing you could be.
2: I heard an interesting, um, an interesting sort of feminist perspective on uh, on what was happening in Wonder Woman and why its success has been has been important and was going to be important. They've got a they've got a strong female lead, and they've got a. Uh, they've got a woman who directed the the directed the film, and they poured normal amounts of large Hollywood money into it. And so, for it to be successful on with those two with with a with a female lead and with a with a female director, um, they they felt like was representative of of a of a of a step forward. That like that 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 there had been some success there. Uh, and, um, it's interesting to see that, like, uh, that, the, 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 the almost the same thing that you were talking about, Dave, is like, there was some kind of almost preemptive argument about whether or not, like, like, would we get into that fight? And and I'm sure there are, and in fact, I know that there are people who did, and, uh, there were people who said, well, I didn't. And there were also people who were like on the, on the extreme one side, who are like well why didn't you enjoy that movie is it because you're is it because you're not because it's you're not supporting what the cause is and they're like oh no sorry let me clarify i i just didn't enjoy the film but it's that's a <laughs> what the hell I just... like
0: I think, Rob, I I think you're right. I think you're 100% correct about everything you've just said. And it's infuriating the hell out of me just because it's like, if first of all, it's art, right? Like I've got a couple different layers here. One, it's art. Like not everybody has to like every movie and you don't have to go see a movie and go, Oh, I would have liked that if a guy directed it. I just know it. I know. And it's like, you know, I I think it's, it's also kind of hilarious. I had no idea that that Wonder Woman had a female director until they started making hay out of it after all the money that it made. And if it didn't make all that, like if the movie sucked, there would not there was here's two narratives that wouldn't be happening. Narrative one: a woman directed Wonder Woman, right? Mm-hmm. And number two: women suck at directing movies. This proves it. Like those are two narratives that wouldn't have happened if the movie didn't gross a, a bajillion dollars or whatever it's up to now. So uh, and then so. Further to this point, are there people that are going to movies based on the director with a few notable exceptions? Scorsese brings out a new movie. You're going to go to the Scorsese movie, right? I mean, I would even do that and I've learned my lesson. I hate Leonardo DiCaprio. I've still seen the Scorsese <laughs> movies. But I mean, but picture the, picture the dad and his kids. Maybe he's, you know, got brown hair with a white streak in it and he's growing a beard for the first time in a while. His wife likes it. They drive a Volkswagen van. They're down there at the movies. Sorry, Dave, too real? Too real for you? <laughs> <laughs> that's right on the nose, buddy. They're down there at the movies. Actually the irony in this is that you, you might legitimately do what I'm about to say. But you're down there at the movie theater and you're looking at the the menu board with the ten pictures that are playing in this cinema on it. Like no one could name the directors. No one's picking the movie based on who directed it. So we're making this big deal about it after the fact. And I'm just like, yeah, that had zero persuasion whatsoever on the final box office tally. Yeah. yeah I think it sure.
2: more, yeah. Like it more had to do with like, like uh women who were feeling like it was challenging to get into the industry, had an opportunity to point to this film and be like, here, see, it was just fine. Everything was just fine. And that was our point all along. And that's the, that's the, like the, that's the part of the argument that people are overlooking when it, like the, like the super intense men's rights activists move in on it. And they're just like, you're stealing this opportunity from men because you're telling men that they can't direct movies anymore because it's not fair. And they're like, and, and no feminist is out there saying that she's not out there being like, there's, there's no woman out there being like, yeah, you're right. Men have to stop forever. Like that's (laughs) not that is not an actual argument. Let us catch up. Right. There are people who are ready to fight about their way, way, way out there opinions that that do not represent what the majority movement wanted to do. Some... Uh, they put some money into a movie that had a female lead and a female director. Cool. They did it and it worked out great. Good. Hopefully that paves the way for more women to have that kind of opportunity in future. And yet there's some dude out there. There were a few dudes out there who were just like, I'm not seeing this movie. It's about some dumb lady who's stupid by some dumb lady who's stupid. And I can prove it because high school was hard for me. Like <laughs> there's there, they, like where the fight comes from on some of this stuff is the part that shocks me. Like I understand the, I understand the one side about it being challenging and about like trying to, trying to get a vehicle to share your art and that being hard. If you, if you haven't been part of the entrenched sort of like Hollywood authority for a long time, but I do not understand like complaining about a film when the only, your only complaint is that there's it's too it's too potentially girly for you.
1: Well, and, <laughs> Here's a couple thoughts. Number one, those guys that boycotted the movie because it was directed by a woman, uh, you know what they missed is getting to look at Gal Gadot for two hours. (laughs) And I feel sorry for them because that's a beautiful, wonderful thing that everyone should get to do. (laughs) Uh, Regardless of your orientation or gender, uh, everyone on the planet probably has a crush on Gal Gadot right now. My, My second thought was, it's funny that Roger brought up this concept that people don't know who directs movies (laughs) because arguably Rob and I are exactly those people. I I can tell you not well, maybe not nine out of 10, but all of the big films, I'm pretty, pretty sure I could tell you who's directing them. And I often will go see a film uh, based specifically on the director. Um, But yeah, I I mean, it's, it's it's interesting, interesting to me that, uh, like you said, you know, people are going to say oh well that one's uh, starring a woman and it's directed by a woman there's going to be a movie that's going to come out maybe a superhero movie directed by a woman starring a woman it's going to fall flat on its ass and that shouldn't be the end of that combination of people it should just be looked at as like hey there's a movie it didn't do well has nothing to do with the fact that it was starring a woman or directed by a woman but odds are pretty good that that will be part of that conversation.
0: Well, yeah. Is that the magic cocktail in all of this though? Like that if it stars a woman and is directed by a woman, it's going to be great because I think that we've, you know, We're exploring the notion that only men should be directing movies. So if you took the hottest woman of the day and you put her in a movie and it was directed by a very capable man director, then it should make about a billion dollars in its first month. But hey, that's weird because when Halle Berry was in Catwoman, it sure as hell didn't do that. In fact, it's like scorned as one of the worst films, you know, ever to hit the screen. So I think that, that this is fun. It's a bit of revisionist history, but we look, we're looking at Wonder Woman and trying to, uh, you know, uh, do, you know, do the, do the biopsy on the movie and say, Hey, you know, like it's, you know, look what happens when you put great female talent together in the director side and in front of the camera and behind the camera and stuff like that. When I think that the yokel who walks out of that movie and goes, that movie is fucking awesome. Just did the best job of explaining why it's making scads of cash. Cause it happens to be a good movie.
2: Well, and that's the, that's the hope, right? It's like that, like in the, in the sort of. <clears throat> in the in the sort of progression towards equality in all things, which is sort of becoming the the theme of this, is that is that you would hope to get to a point where you don't have to acknowledge where you're just like, yeah, that was that that is measured entirely on its own merits. And I think the argument coming from a lot of like uh, groups that have felt excluded is always about is always about the fact that uh, there was a chance that things weren't judged on their own merit. But I'm like you've got you've got to hope that like that sometime down the road in some future that's hopefully not too far away. People went to see that movie. They were like, that was rad. I loved it. And that's the end of the discussion. And you don't have to worry about any of it or whether we're there or not yet is a matter, which again, I can only say, you know, like with low confidence that, that, that we're prepared to say, yeah, we've made it to that point. And I think you, Dave's Dave's right. You know, like at some point, there might be that combination again and the movie won't do well. And then somebody will, will blame it on the director or blame it on the, the female lead or whatever. And it'll be, you know, they'll, there'll be lots of people who are angry about it. And lots of people who are, who are, who like viciously agree. And, you know, like, I mean, we, you got to hope you get to the point where things balance out and you don't have to think about it anymore. And then whether or not we're there yet,
1: so that movie was the third largest grossing film in Warner Brothers history. Wow. Wonder Woman is the third largest. What's ahead of it?
0: In, um, in, in, do you guys uh, know the two wow. movies that
1: are ahead of it? I mean, hang on I mean, a second. Guess,
0: yeah, we got to think about this because just <laughs> like people don't go and look at the movie board and pick it by director, there's not a lot of people who can immediately associate the studio to its pictures. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm going to guess, OK, I'm going to guess that since this was again, this was kind of like a, it was it was held up as an example of how progress is being made uh, uh, in terms of in terms of equality, in terms of allowing women to have the opportunities that a lot of men have had. So I'm going to guess that ahead of it in the list is uh, Warner Brothers um, uh, Ironheart Dicks directed by uh, <laughs> Dick Wolf. Um, and I'm going to guess that the first place movie was called uh, Raging Man Boner. And uh, it probably dragged in over three billion dollars and it was also directed by Dick Wolf.
0: Wow. Dick Wolf, by the way, every time I'm at the uh, the movies, I quickly scan the board to see if there's a Dick Wolf picture up there. Uh, I just like and,
2: you know with, like the thing I, my favorite thing about Law and order is I cannot think of a manlier name. Like Dick what, Wolf. What, what 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 more manly name can you have that's like <laughs> two syllables. One of them is dick and the other one
0: is, wolf. but you know, he's a pussy, though, right? Like, that's the other. It's like Wolf Blitzer is a pretty bitchin' name. And then you see Wolf Blitzer and you're like, oh, what happened here?
1: Okay, so the two movies, I
0: didn't even get to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Was that wrong?
0: No, you, got, you got one of them. Yeah, he must we're have got one of them. Both directed
1: by the same person. Okay. Uh, both starring the same person.
0: And these are the highest grossing. Warner Brothers. Highest movie.
1: grossing films in Warner Brothers history. Uh, it, it just nudged uh, Harry Potter out. The last Harry Potter movie was was previously the third most. Uh, Rob, you should be able to get this if you consider who could beat Wonder Woman.
0: Oh, wow, okay. I think that solves it now.
1: <laughs> well, who is it?
0: It uh, <clears throat> would be uh Batman can beat beat Wonder Woman. But Absolutely. he but he doesn't because that would be just an absolute PR nightmare for Warner Brothers if he did do that. So is it Dark Knight and Batman versus Superman?
1: It is. Uh, the second most was uh, The Dark Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns, right. And number one was The Dark Knight.
0: The Dark Knight, okay.
1: Yeah. Batman Begins didn't make a ton because it was kind of a new, yeah. different thing, and people didn't really figure it out until the second movie came out that it was something
0: special. Reset. So. I thought that Batman Begins was pretty good, though. Yeah.
1: Christopher Nolan.
0: Um, and by the way, sorry, This I think I feel like this sort of should be just injected into – just kind of placed on the coffee table of this conversation for later perusal. But Greta Garbo used to make like nine grand a week way, way, way back in the day. Um, and I don't know where that put her in uh, with all her male stars, her male co-stars and stuff like that. But it seems to me that that's an absurd amount of money to be making. I would love to the, make
1: nine grand a week. <laughs>
0: in the 1930s. She's making nine thousand a week. I would um, love to make that now, <laughs> but do, did women in the thirties, like the starlets of the silver screen, did they make more money than the men did? Uh,
1: I you'd have no to. idea
0: yeah, yeah, so that's I'm
1: a guess no
2: <laughs> Leave that to your fans to do a little research on maybe
0: well, they're the ones we still talk about, so which is why I think yes, like we you know we we know. Uh, a lot of the starlets of the silver screen, but we don't know a lot of the male, like the 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 huge, like outside of Charlie Chaplin and maybe some of the other silent movie stars. Um, and but then the second thing too is is that movies are a business, right? And so somebody's going to walk into a producer's office and say, "I want a hundred million dollars because I want to make a movie." And uh, there's somebody standing right outside who's going to say the exact same thing, and that producer is going to hear from one of their mouths. Uh, it stars Harrison Ford and it's like Jaws in Space, which is Alien. But anyway, like the, if you want to know why Tom Hanks gets a lot more money or you know Harrison Ford gets more money, it's not that he gets more money than the women he's in the movies with. He gets more money than everybody he's in the movie with because he's somebody that people want to invest in. They figure that just putting him in this vehicle will, will make the money back, will make it a safe investment.
1: Well, and to be sure, there are some women that have that kind of box office draw, and these days, they, the equality uh, pay seems to be happening more and more. Uh, it's like things are getting interesting because you can't just kind of sweep it under the rug anymore. Right. I was reading about uh, on the TV side of things. I was reading about Hawaii Five O, mm-hmm. so they have two. Uh, I don't. And I'm sorry. I don't know if they're both Asian, but they have two. You know, actors of uh, people of color as part of the cast that have been main members of the cast for years now. And uh, they both came up for contract renewal and they said, we want to make as much as the other two guys who happen to be white. And they were told that's not going to happen. And so both of them walked and it became a fairly big news story. And so that's the kind of thing that happens now. You've got, uh, you know, you've got people, uh, Emmy Rossum, who's in a show called Shameless, uh, came out and said, you know what? I want to retroactively be paid the same as, you know, my co-star. Because I've done as much work as that guy did retroactively.
0: And, yeah, <laughs> I signed I a shitty contract. To... Let's redo it. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Give me, give me, give me more in this contract to make up for what I should have made before. And so, right or wrong, you know, people are standing up for themselves now and making a bit more of a fuss about it. So, I think it's harder for studios to kind of sweep it under the rug. They're going to have to take a stand and say, well, we think you're worth this much or we think you're worth that much. And it can't come down to, you know your gender; it's going to have to have more to do with your, like you said, your box office draw or what you're able to bring to the table. right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, has anybody, by the way, been following or, or heard of this movie, The Disaster Artist, with James Franco? Has have you heard of the movie The Room?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sorry, this is the what the, the uh, movie about the room. Is it not? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Tell Rob me more.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, uh, we did, uh, the room at, uh, Cinema of Regret. It's hard to watch.
0: Okay. I didn't know that you did the room at Cinema of Regret. Did you refund? See, that would be the best part of Cinema of Regret is a, is a show that I'm not going to explain it. Rob, you explain Cinema of Regret and then I'll see if my the room joke still fits.
2: Okay. Well, <laughs> we, uh, uh, we screen a film and we make fun of it while it's screening. Uh, so we only choose the worst possible films. And then they, usually the audience gets involved in also making fun of the film and heckling it as it's playing.
0: I think what, how much are tickets for this, by the way? Uh, 10 bucks. Okay. So here's what we do. Okay. Next time you, it's 20 bucks, but you get a $10 refund when you leave. So that, <laughs> <laughs> so that when you leave, you don't feel like, <laughs> you know, you feel like you're getting paid for your time. Um, so, okay. Yeah. You know how awful that movie was. Um I watched the trailer for this movie, The Disaster Artist, which is like about the making of that movie before I'd heard of the room, before I knew anything about it. And the trailer just made me go, what, the, what is this about? Like, what are they doing? And the whole trailer is essentially the, where they're trying to shoot the scene where he's on the roof and he goes, I didn't hit. Or I did not hit or it's bullshit. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. 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 So anyway, so I watched that trailer and I was like, oh, this looks really stupid. But then I re I decided to look into what the room was. And wouldn't you know it? That's like the first scene that I saw on YouTube. And James Franco freaking nails it. Like nails it in the trailer. And then I found out that the movie is based on a book called The Disaster Artist that was written by the co star of the movie, The Room. And he was like documenting how horrible this movie is. Oh, yeah, while yeah. they were making it. Yeah,
1: Greg. I can't remember his last name. Yeah, yeah. He's in, he's in the movie as well. Yeah, he sort of, sort of chronicled all the things that Tommy Wiseau was doing.
0: Right. It's it's wild. I can't wait to see this movie now. And apparently, Tommy Wiseau with, like still stands behind the movie and is like, "Yeah, that was a good." He's trying yeah, to. Yeah, it was interesting
1: yeah. when it first came out. He was seriously considering it to be a great movie. I think as the popularity rose and he saw more and more people making fun of it, I think he started changing his tack a little bit. Right. making people like he was in on the joke sort of thing. Uh, They're making another movie. Now those two guys. So
0: those two same guys.
1: Yep. Uh, And I bet you it's not going to be nearly as bad. (laughs) Now they're trying to make a bad movie, which is a lot harder than making a bad movie and not trying. Hold on
2: Dave. Uh, Because, uh, um, uh if i don't know if you've seen birdemic Uh, you have maybe i don't know roger have you seen birdemic i've
0: not heard of it am i gonna be up all night
2: well it's uh the director believes uh james Nguyen believes that he uh created the sort of like the the romantic thriller genre uh like romantic thriller comedy date meet cute anyway and uh birdemic is a terrible terrible film that is first a totally unrelatable romantic comedy and then turns into a totally unrelatable, really badly cgi uh bird attack environmental message thing. They, oh uh, my
1: god, Roger, it is so bad. Um, the Room is held up as the worst movie. I would go to town and say Birdemic is much worse than The Room.
2: It's, <laughs> Sorry, it's, a, it's a balancing act, for sure, but like, but Birdemic is, is god-awful. And, um, they, uh, the, the Severin, the guys who eventually were the, uh, uh, the, um, the, uh, not the studio, but the, um uh, um, the, um, anyway, they released, yeah, the, the, the released the, uh, film and they, uh, turned it around. Yeah. The distributor. And they, uh, they, um. They showed it around and once it got a reputation for being really genuinely terrible and they could start to get the cast to like, you know, come and give interviews and talk about why it was really terrible. It actually started to bring in some money and people wanted to see this horrible film. And they brought back James Nguyen and they said, we want to do another movie. And he was like, well, uh, I, yeah, okay, but I get to do whatever I want. And they were like, sure, James. And the the, the distributor very wisely let him do his thing and somehow even though birdemic is terrible even though the director knows his film is popular due to its terribleness and even though the distributor made him fully aware of the fact that they wanted to just make a film that was whatever it was that he wanted to do he actually somehow made the sequel birdemic 2 worse than the first film he knocked it out of the park. It is worse. he is self aware and it's worse, and he's like and you like he's you can, there's even like huge narrative segments about how Hollywood doesn't understand auteurs like that that, <laughs> that just fit into the character's mouth for no reason <laughs> and then and then the birds and then somebody dies in a pool, and that's the end of the film i, I it it's astounding that's fabulous. it's a triumph of doing worse even though you know. You just did the worst thing.
1: <laughs> you owe it to yourself Roger to go and check out Birdemic. Even just watch the first 10 minutes. Uh, watch watch till the birds show up. Uh, that would be to the to the motel scene when the CGI birds that are two-dimensional show up. Nice. They're literally flat. They're birds and they're flat. That's it's yeah,
0: I I'm finding it, of- I found it on Netflix, so I think I can give that a tumble tonight as I'm as oh, I'm yeah. falling asleep. Do it. <laughs> um dave speaking of of people who you you mentioned earlier um that somebody signed a contract and then wanted to go back and renegotiate it that sounds a lot like a news story that uh, deserves a reset by johannes national talkie league america's most trusted source for news so what's the deal with temporary foreign workers in quebec
1: Oh, uh, yeah. So I was just reading, uh, this week that, uh, apparently there's some, uh, some temporary foreign workers. Uh, I believe they were from, uh, I want to say maybe Portugal or I'm not sure where. Uh, and, uh, their problem was they came over to work on a farm in Quebec as, I want to say chicken chasers.
0: Uh, no. You get a cat. It's going to have to be chicken catcher. If you simply chase the chickens, okay. your productivity Sorry, you is not high okay. enough. Yeah. You get paid to catch the chicken. You're just wasting everybody's time when you're chasing it. Fantastic. L- little ag lesson for you all there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so anyways, these guys are now complaining because uh, they didn't like what was in their contract and they're saying that their contract was in French and they didn't understand it. And so uh, they're basically looking for more rights as, as temporary foreign workers. And so it just kind of got me thinking that uh, in the States, this has been a big thing for a long time where, you know, especially in California, you've got a lot of people that come and work there, whether they're illegals or not. And they're working on, you know, farms, picking crops or they're, you know, gardeners or house cleaners, whatever that job is. It seems like there's become a, a type of job in first world countries That most of us would just rather not do and so it got me thinking about this whole concept of the temporary foreign workers and you know we we have issues with unemployment as well in the country so should people just be less picky about the kind of jobs that they're doing should we be paying more and then thus charging my chickens not cheap to start with but if you started charging 15 bucks an hour for these guys I bet you the cost of chickens gonna go up quite rapidly so I don't know what uh, what what are your thoughts on the the concept of bringing other people in to do our crappy jobs for us?
0: Um. Well, Rob, do you want to go first on this one, Rob? The, the only the immediate thing I would I would add. <laughs> if, if, are you burning on this one? Just because the first thing I thought about was I can't understand the Portuguese, so it's kind of like that seems like fair ball to me. And I listen to a lot of bossa nova music. I have no idea what's going on there.
2: Yeah. No. I mean, uh, yeah. There, there's a lovely. Bossa Nova is lovely. Um, I, I mean, I'm all the way, 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 way left on this one. So I, I feel like that, Dave. You, you may have a point. Did, are there jobs that that people in the first world just don't want to do anymore? <laughs> Did you just say and, you
0: people in the first world? <laughs> And, That's what and, I thought I heard you saying. It. it made it so funny.
2: You people, you people. Let Listen, me you tell people. you what's different about me in the fourth world. <laughs> I am in a wood paneled basement right now. Um, the, uh, um, the there's there's a lot of discussion about the the this idea that um, a lot of the jobs that we have that most people don't want to do. Uh, in some cases, are things that are automatable, and that might be possible to um, to have a more functional society if we um, if we had some kind of guaranteed income, so that nobody had to do these jobs. So, uh, I think wow, I might I might fall on that side of the spectrum where I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like if there's a if there's a if if we need workers to do something that absolutely can't be automated then it might be possible to have some kind of like some kind of like some kind of arrangement made to get that work done until it can be safely sort of done in an automated way. And otherwise I'm like, yeah, let's just pay people for existing. Argue with me.
0: Well, I don't mind the, the, um, paying people for existing part. I think you save a lot of money when you do that. Um, and that's really academic to my point of the, not my point. See my perspective on this matter. Uh, I would look at first of all. Um, I don't hear a lot about who's catching the chicken, right? I know about the free-range eggs and stuff like that, and there's a whole <laughs> lot of uh, there's a whole lot of talk about how the chicken's living. But I mean, when I when I'm buying chicken, it'd be great. I think if there was a nice little picture of the guy who caught that chicken <laughs> on that chicken, you know,
1: so some grain-fed Portuguese caught chicken.
0: Yeah, like I want to know where it was running, what it was eating, and who caught it, right? And then say, like, "Oh, this is a good trifecta right here. I like Miguel's chickens. He catches a good chicken, that Miguel.
1: This this chicken made a uh, three point seven kilometers according <laughs> to its Fitbit during its
0: life. <laughs> that's right. See, that's you know, nah, too tough. I don't like the thighs that tough. <laughs> I like a nice two two and a half k chicken right there. Um, you know, and, and this guy's real sneaky too. He really gets up on him. You can tell there. He doesn't startle them. So, uh, but here's here's the thing about like." Rob, what did you say? You said that if if we you paid people uh, like a a minimum income, then they wouldn't yeah, have like to a do guaranteed these jobs. Income, yeah. Then they wouldn't have to do these jobs or something like that. But well, uh, we still want to yeah, eat chicken, like, right?
2: <clears throat> yeah, and that's actually that that's actually the one thing that I think is missing from this debate is that like there are some jobs that are automatable. Like they're saying like you know what? Do we desperately need to have like like ten checkout clerks at Safeway, or could we have ten automated stations and two supervisors to take care of it? Do we really, really, really need those people and and that's and it scares the employed because they're like, "Well, I don't want you to automate my job away, but chicken catcher. Can you automate that? Oh,
0: totally like- you can. You could hatch chickens and then you could put them in little leg shackles so that they can't move out of the box. And then you could feed them until they're fat and their poo would just come out the bottom of the cage. And then when they get to that point, just dip them in the electric bath and then they'd be dead, right? I bet you could get it to where you could, you could raise and kill a chicken without any human interaction beyond clamping that little chick in its leg shackles for the rest of its existence. Obviously – Not a whole lot of people want to feel uh, want to go buying that chicken. They're not going to feel good about it, which is why we've got the free range and the free run and all this, you know, all of this stuff, right? And look, that's important to me too, right? I want open range cattle when I'm eating beef. That's that's my preference. Uh, A cruelty only chicken, you say? Interesting. From from the cruelest farms. (laughs) That's a marketing nightmare, but but one that can still be done. Um. So no, I mean I I think that that be, we have demands as consumers and those demands um, make producers you know producers uh cave to the demands of consumers. So I think that that if w- there's a balance here and there's like a uh there's a line that has to be walked so the bargain basically becomes um the consumer says to the producer look i want chicken that's humanely treated i want chicken that i know is running around the arena having a good time you know he's he's clucking he's chatting with his his mates and then uh, he lives a good healthy life and then he gets uh, caught one day by a stout portuguese man and and run through and then he ends up in my plate and then the producer says well okay that's doable would you pay uh sorry i got to eliminate the stout portuguese guy I want him to be caught by a fine well-educated French-Canadian. <laughs> okay. Then the producer says, that's fine. Would you pay $58 for this chicken? And that's when the consumer goes, no, I'll pay 15 He goes, I've got a nice stout Portuguese cot model for you. Would you like to try it?
1: This chicken has seen all of the Pixar films. <laughs> uh, it has uh, only been fed grass that is pink in nature.
0: <laughs> this chicken's favorite film is Chicken Run, which, if you think about it, is cruel and ironic.
1: <laughs> when we put movies on in front of this chicken, it found itself almost continually moving towards The Godfather. This is a chicken with
0: taste. <laughs> you've got a, tw- you've got a, uh, this is a new Twitter handle. It's like we rate dogs. Where you could, you could just take, and it's going to be easy to do too. Cause all you have to do is next time you're at the grocery store, just take pictures of six different chickens and then cycle them through with a different review for each one. Cause no <laughs> one will know the difference. But, but does that make sense? The, just the way I'm thinking about it is that it is this way because this is what we pay, right? It, it, this is how the chicken breeding happens in Canada because this is what Canadian consumers are willing to pay for chicken and not a penny more. And if I, you know, um, people don't want to do that job. And you know, I guess the argument is if you paid, you know, the job pays $15 an hour, if it paid $20 an hour, it would bring more people out to the gig. But do you want to pay more for your chicken is the question.
2: Yeah. And I, like, I always fall on the, I always fall on the far side of that. Again, I'm always just like, yeah, I'll, I'll pay more for my chicken. And then actually like, there's a lot of situations where, uh, um, I like, I have a lot of food allergies. And so like, in order to avoid a lot of the problems that I might run into at your average grocery store, I have to go ahead and pay more. And I do get like, quite often I get a nice illustrated storybook that comes along with all of my food products describing to me in detail, the direct source of it, but that it's important enough to me to avoid the kind of problems that I'm going to bump into. And it's important enough to me on a sort of, uh, on a personal level. Um, that that I'm that I am willing to pay, and I do I pay like I pay quite a bit more, and that's okay. Uh, like for me, that's fine. but I find it interesting when people aren't like when people complain about a user pay sort of situation where they're like, ah no, it needs to be cheaper otherwise it's not worth it And then it's like, well, was it ever worth it? Was that chicken really ever worth it if you're really uncomfortable then and what I think it sh- it, it says is that like people aren't really that comfortable
0: um. No, I don't. I don't know. I would argue that because I, I think that um, what's important to me, okay, like it, what's important to me is that cows are roaming the range, right? That they're they're, uh-huh. they're getting outdoor time and that they're eating a natural diet. And that, yeah, I'm, that's, a, I'm
2: a similar space on because uh, I still eat I still eat meat, which is you know a compromise if you're if you're a big hippie like I am,
0: so. right? And if I get the opportunity to eat uh to choose between beef that is uh commercially slaughtered at a large packing plant versus yep. versus um you know like those small operations that that do a cow in and then sell it all and then they do the next cow like yep for sure and then and then they just like and then they've got that one kind of not uh, what's the word I'm like degenerate um brother in who really likes the part where the bull drop anyway um, <laughs>
1: This cow was chased and killed by a man wearing a hockey mask. <laughs> I don't
0: know.
2: I think you can taste that in the beef,
0: Dave.
2: <laughs> can taste that stress. The
0: uh, the the uh, But the, the the other end of that, though, Rob, is like the Kobe beef, right? Which is like beer fed and massaged and stuff like that. And I think we can argue that it also lives a humane existence. But that shit's not important to me. So I don't need to pay the additional – you know the the five, six, and eight times the price for the Kobe beef um, because I just think that it's unnecessary. So that's I think that's interesting yeah. too.
2: But uh, again, like, you're are, are you willing to pass on the price of Kobe beef to the consumer who does care about that? Because I'm happy to let them also, in a user pay situation, just go ahead and pay that cost. Like, if that's important for you for your cow to be massaged, then go ahead, like, pay that price. Then that's fine by me. And it's also fine by me that like I don't have to pay that price for that product cuz I don't care.
1: How much how much per pound could you get for Kobe beef that was slaughtered by Kobe Bryant?
0: <laughs> wow. And why doesn't Kobe Bryant have a Kobe beef restaurant yet? <laughs> Surely he's been. Do do you think he's turned down that pitch? Like (laughs) how many times? I'm
2: going to yes. Eight times. What's the over under on Kobe beef? It's always when he's like late at night. It's he's, he's at Denny's. He just wants to get a like a quick, because he was out partying and he just wants to get home to his family. Maybe he's on the road and somebody comes up and it's just like, I've got the most amazing
1: idea for you. And he's just like, ah, no. Is this this Kobe beef? I bet you it is. (laughs)
0: No, no, no. This is the one where you and Shaquille O'Neal form a partnership and it's called Kobe's Beef Shack. Oh, oh, oh. um, what about, um, I want to know if Kobe beef, is there an elevated level of Kobe beef where it's had a nuru massage, not just a regular massage, the kind of massage where the girl gets naked and slides all over the cow with that, with that weird jelly? Because I would eat that. Again, I think if the the consumer
2: is willing to pay for that.
0: I'd be top yen for that. I think the cow would have to pay as well, really. I mean, it's not fair that the cow is enjoying all of this without having to put out any money. I mean, I know the cow dies at the end. It's impractical to ask for money. But I just think there's an injustice there.
1: This cow was brought up listening only to the music of Pink Floyd.
0: (laughs) Is that how you envision it, Dave? Because I I was thinking about labeling, but right now I think that you've got it where there's either a man in like a red suit or, or just a recording at least. Oh, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's one of those like museum audio tours, right? And you scan the barcode and it tells you about the, the meat that you're looking at. I like it. I like that a lot. I think this is fantastic. Um, but Rob, to the, to the serious point though. You've got to have the option, right? You can't just say like, "Hey, this is Canada, and we pay chicken catchers fifty bucks an hour, and that's why the chicken here is, you know, is a hundred dollars a bird." Like, there's yeah, got, like, to be tears. I just want to be able
2: to have the option open to me. Is right. the main point. So, like, I just like I want to be able to make that choice, and I think that's it's reasonable to give people that alternative. I'm willing to pay, so I get to make that choice, and that's 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 nice for me. Uh, but actually, like, it, when it comes down to the workers, though, is that a is that another? Is that, a, is that your question as well? Or are you more interested in the, the narrative of the chicken
0: itself? Uh, well, to answer your question, much more interested in the narrative of the chicken itself. But, I, but it, this to me is like it doesn't matter what the business is, right? It's like if some guy is basically saying, look, I've got a product that people are consuming and the, the, the wage laws make it prohibitive for people to consume this, let alone for him to make a living producing it. Then I think that that's a disservice. Like one of the biggest problems this country has is its cartel system in like dairy and eggs and stuff like that that makes food needlessly expensive for Canadians. So you know when you go to the U.S. and you're shopping, you can buy like a gallon of milk in the U.S. for like a buck fifty in some places, right, or less. But that same gallon of milk in Canada is like five bucks or four fifty. And so I just think it's it sucks that there's a supply management system in place that effectively makes food uh, needlessly expensive for, for Canadians. We shouldn't have to suffer that.
1: I don't know if this is just my experience. I mean, it's probably a generality that's that might not be on base. But what I found, and I'm not eating a lot of high-end foods when I go down to the States, but when I stop at the fast food restaurants or when I go into the grocery stores, a lot of the food down there is a little on the nasty side. Like the quality of beef is not good. The quality of the bread is not good. I
0: um, think
1: maybe part of our higher prices might be. I don't know. Is our higher standards for some things?
0: Oh, I think that there's my explanation for this is that it sort of depends where you shop. There's a lot of um, I, I've experienced that too. I've seen a lot of like junk in the in the butcher section and stuff that makes me go wow. And by the way not just like the fresh cuts, but also some of the products that you could buy out of like the frozen section, like a fully cooked roast beef dinner that's vacuum sealed. And you're like, what the hell? Where was this made? And why is is leaving meat unattended in an oven that difficult? Uh, but anyway, um but you know, having said that, Dave, I've been in butcher shops in like Texas where I've seen the most majestic cuts of beef And at not, at not unreasonable prices as well.
1: So is it more like the, is it that sort of higher highs and lower lows kind of thing? Whereas Canada might get a little more sort of down the middle. You might not get that amazing stuff as much, but you're also not going to get that super shitty Walmart meat. And the Walmart meat here (laughs) is kind of shitty, but down there, it's super shitty.
0: I bet you with some further investigation, we might find that a lot of the, the, like what are the different grades? There's choice, prime and select, right? That a lot of the, uh, select, I think is the, the lowest of them all. Uh, a lot of that meat is, leaves our country and goes elsewhere, um, because it's not as appetizing to our consumers. And I, I think that the same is true for our most high end beef. I bet you the best Alberta beef, the top cut stuff probably goes to Scandinavia or a place where they're willing to pay like exorbitant amounts of money for imported beef. Um, so, But whereas in the US, I bet you a lot of their production also stays at home. So you you see a lot of those like, you know, lesser quality cuts on the grocery store shelf. And you also get finer, much, much finer quality steaks in restaurants like Delmonico's.
1: This cow was raised on a diet of cigarettes and forties of beer.
0: <laughs> we should just go do this in a This is this is the new this is the waiter routine by the way. Yeah, tell me about this uh tell me about this uh sea bass. <laughs> I'm
2: glad you asked. He's actually from the land of Narnia. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Whoa, it's getting late.
0: That's remarkable. (laughs)
2: This Narnian sea bass are raised by a farmer who individually rubs the belly of each sea bass while implanting magic beans up each nostril, which one day grow into a a non-GMO corn crop.
0: (laughs) Which, incidentally, the sea bass has been served upon tonight. Bon appetit. Mm
1: -hmm. This sea bass was grown on a... uh, Strict diet of Chopin, Mozart, and hatred for the middle class.
2: I have a I have a parable oh, like to that. You guys. That sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a I have a important uh, parable about uh, agriculture. that I would like to share uh, that I believe with low confidence has an important point to make. I had a coworker at one point before the days of easily accessible internet who was firmly convinced that all chocolate milk contained a large amount of cow's blood. In order to settle the debate before Google was available, (laughs) we called the Alberta Milk Council and asked them that question, which they told us was a frequently asked question, and they wanted us to be assured that chocolate milk had no cow's blood in it. And I think the lesson that I learned from this I don't know
1: what I learned. <laughs> now, did they say no cow's blood or the minimum <laughs> uh, federally allowable amount of gas? <laughs> well, that's
2: the thing. It's like once like like it was the only way to settle the argument. I actually I found this very funny. It was the only way to settle the argument. But we our only source was biased. Because yeah, right, right. when I called, she was just like, well, of course they're going to say that because of course they don't want anybody to know about the secret blood they add to the cow's milk. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's just like, it's in there, man. It's in there. And I never won that argument.
0: Have you Have you ever heard of the, the, uh, the Pepsi has aborted fetuses in it? That one? <laughs> I know, right? Uh no. Okay. I have not
2: heard that but uh tell me more.
0: I used to get phone calls from a guy who legitimately believed that and thought that I was like part of this cover up. And all I could think about was like it's obviously absurd and and ridiculous, but what's the business case for that? Cuz like Pepsi is sold worldwide and and there's like it's constantly being produced and consumed. <laughs>
1: I, yeah, so I how are we going to pull this, this off? These, like, right, yeah. This super
2: conspiratorial because again, I was a full time hippie, and so I've heard all the arguments about what it is that the they, the man, is doing to our food. And I, I, I am often baffled by the most extreme cases because I don't understand why. Like, how wouldn't it make food more expensive, ridiculously more expensive, and mm. possibly dangerous to produce to do something like that?
0: Prohibitive. Well, that let's uh, let's wrap it up on that point. Um, we've got a, a long week ahead of us, uh, which is now a lot shorter now that we have these uh, uh, two shows, right, Dave? Essentially, there's the National Talkie League and there's the Overtime. And there's a lot less uh, the Overtime Interview Podcast, by the way, which we'll release on Thursday again, uh, starring Rob Mitchelson, the guy that we've been hanging out with for this edition of the National Talkie League. Um, and, and,
1: it- and this is a, a must listen. This is not to be missed, this interview.
0: Uh, yeah, no doubt. What? Tell him. Tell him why. Give him a. Give him a good reason. Rob.
1: Rob gives us a a lengthy uh, a lengthy trip, a lengthy view into the world of his honeymoon, which he spent at the. uh so what was the name of the resort, Rob? The Mystic it's the Sp- Mineral Springs Resort. <laughs> Mineral Springs Resort, in which yeah. Rob will uh, lay out in detail exactly how good of a time he had
0: there. All right. Uh, In the meantime, thank you very much for enjoying the National Talkie League podcast. Please tell all your friends about it. We are going to spend the downtime, when you're not listening, crafting the first issue of a hardcore pornographic magazine in which we have sexual intercourse with uh, midgets from France. It's called Bon Appetit. (laughs)
1: You've been listening to the
2: National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kinkade and Dave Ware, thank you.